0: Man, what a joy it is to be with you this morning. My name is Ryan Brown. I serve here as our ministries pastor at Graceland. And man, I just absolutely love our worship team, our tech team. You may not know this, but... We have a new configuration here this morning, and we came in this morning and had all kinds of technical issues, but they work diligently. The monitor, inner monitor system isn't working, and they just go, it goes smoothly like nothing even happened. But I will say this I think I might be a curse at times because remember when we had the blackout? I was supposed to preach. Of course, I'm supposed to preach today. One time we had the lights flickering. Guess who was preaching on that Sunday? This guy. So um, if anything happens and goes out, just pretend like it's normal. We're going to keep rocking and keep rolling, okay? So let's bow together in a word of prayer before we dive in today. God, thank you so much for your love. Um, it's easy for us um, to go through the motions on, on Sundays. But God, you've called us to something so much better. And, and the thing that's better is Jesus So today, God, may he be magnified. May your son Jesus be lifted high in this place. Um, I I pray, God, that you would move, move in our hearts. Your word um, wants us to enlighten our hearts. So may our hearts be aligned with yours, God, this morning. May we see people as you see people. May your word speak to us. Your word tells us that when your word is preached, that you will draw people to yourself. And so I pray for that this morning. I pray, God, that we would keep a close watch on our teaching because it has the power to save. And so today, Lord, as we dive in, as we dive in, Lord, move in this place. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I think it is safe to officially say that fall weather is upon us. Where are my people that love fall weather? Show of hands. Come on now. Oh yeah, that is a good amount. You are my people. I love it. Um, I like wearing coats. I like wearing hoodies. Um, I like bonfires. I like uh, soups. We had some nice hot chicken noodle soup last night. I like uh, chilies. Oh, so many good things have to do with fall weather. Been doing some soccer with my son. He is four, coach of our four and five-year-old team here at Graceland. And the past two uh, Saturdays have been fall weather, and I have absolutely loved it. But amidst all of these things, I think one of my favorite thing is fall football. Any football fans in the congregation today? Okay, I love fall football. Now, I've not had an opportunity to go see my Hoosiers play or my Colts play. So if you have season tickets and you just have a free, you know, ticket that nobody wants for some reason, come see me afterwards. I'll sacrifice a lot. of I've got going on to go with you for that. But I love Fall. I love fall football. Makes me think back to the good old glory days, right? High school football. I was a kicker here in New Albany for the high, our high school team, and I loved the, the environment, the cold weather on Friday nights. I loved the brotherhood that would exist for football. I loved the discipline, the work ethic. I really loved how we could collectively come together to try to accomplish something that individually we could never do. And it really got me thinking back to the days when I played um, had a wonderful sophomore and junior season of football, and I got to my senior, se- senior year, and I had this injury. And as a kicker, it was my right thigh that got injured. Now, I won't go into all the details, but basically what happened is there was a separation of my muscle from my bone, and calcium deposits began to fill that spot. And so it would harden up and make it so I really couldn't walk very well. And as a kicker, that's not a good thing, right? So what, here's what I did. I would play in a game, then I would not practice for a week, not practice for two weeks, and then try to play in the game again, wake up, not be able to walk. It was a really, really tough time in my life. And looking back, really, I recognize now that what I was doing is I was sacrificing my future for something temporary and, and insignificant. You see, one of the doctors actually told me, Ryan, if you keep doing this, You may not be able to walk at some point in your life as you get older, but me, being a selfish, prideful person, thought my team needed me. And it was just these temporary games that, in retrospect, I sacrificed so much in the present for something so valuable in the future. Have you ever sacrificed something that was valuable in the future for something that meant so little in the present? What about a relationship? Have you ever sacrificed a really important relationship for these little things in the present? Maybe for some of you in here, that looks like work. You think that work is so important, so urgent, but you're sacrificing your relationship with your spouse, something that's so valuable and important for something so temporary and insignificant. Maybe it's a relationship with a kid. Again, maybe it's because of work, or maybe it's even their sports You're putting so much time, so much effort into something insignificant. and You're losing out on this lifelong relationship. Maybe for you, it's even with a friend. They're going through difficult times, and you're not there to help or to notice because of fill in the blank. It's not a relationship, though. Maybe it's a reputation. I look around, and I see some students over here. Um, It's easy for students to be tempted to do some things in a moment that they know that they shouldn't do. So we'll make this one choice in the present. And this one temporary insignificant thing will now forever impact and affect their reputation for the rest of their life, their whole identity. If it's not a, a reputation, then maybe for you it's your health. We've all done this, haven't we? We eat what we want today, even though we know it's not good for us, and our future self really doesn't like it. Have you done that? Maybe you've even burned the candle at Both ends, not getting sleep in the present and your future self is being affected because of this. But all in all, you're sacrificing something good in the long run for an immediate pleasure. We've all done this. We've all sacrificed something valuable for something that's fleeting. We've all sacrificed our future for something insignificant in the present. My prayer today is that we would evaluate, maybe re- even reorient our lives and seek after that, which is truly priceless. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up with me. We're going to be looking at Luke. We've been in Luke for the past several weeks. Today we'll be opening up chapter 16 and looking at verse 19. So we have been in this series called Share Hope. Share hope. I said this before three weeks ago when I when I was able to be before you. I shared this. When we say share hope, what we really mean is share Jesus. So anytime I say share hope, I'm talking about sharing Jesus. He is our only one true hope. And throughout the course of this series, we've we've looked at many things that Jesus has said. Okay, so Jesus, he told us to love our enemies. So we need to share hope with our enemies. He's given us several parables. We've walked through these. We've looked at the parable of the sower. We've looked at the parable of the good Samaritan. We looked at the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. And through this, we've seen many things. How we're to share hope with the lost, share hope with our neighbors, share hope without distinction to all people. Today, we turn our attention to the story of the rich man, And Lazarus. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably read this story, but I would venture a guess that there are many of you in here that have never really unpacked this story. Been fortunate to see a lot of new people come to Graceland. And so, if this is you, um, I just want to warn you today, this is a very tough passage. It's very tough, it's very sobering for us, but I also want you to know that you should be encouraged. You should be encouraged as we step into this today. Now, I want to ask a question before we jump in. I think it's important for us to ask and answer this question. There are many scholars that have a kind of a debate or dispute on this question. But the question I have is, is this a parable or is this a real life story? Okay, a lot of debate. Um, I personally think it's a parable. So if you disagree with that, you can email me later. I'll read that. Um, But I think it's a parable. Here's why. It starts off and it says, there was a rich man. The two previous parables that Jesus spoke in context started off with, there was a man, there was a rich man. And so I think he's continuing on in that. But um, some people will say, well, it has this name, Lazarus. And when there's a real name, it's a real story. Well, I would say that it has greater meaning than that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But no matter where you fall, whether you think it's a parable or a real life story, here's, here's the important part. This is God's word, God's holy inspired word, and Jesus spoke these words. So they were so important for his listeners there, and they're so important for us today. With that in mind, I want us to think through this. How can we share hope with eternity in mind? How can we share hope with eternity in mind? In order to do this, I want to divide this passage into three parts. So, I'm going to do it like three acts of a play. Anybody who likes drama, you like William Shakespeare, that kind of stuff, this is going to resonate with you. Um, If you don't know anything about that, then just pretend like we're going through hockey because hockey has three periods. Um, I know that probably doesn't resonate that well in southern Indiana, but it's the only sport I could think of that has three periods. So um, maybe you could think through that. But here we go. I want you to buckle in, get ready, get that listening guide out. I've got a lot to say. I may be like Pastor Nate and go long today, so I apologize in advance for that. All right, here we go. Act one, we see the lure of luxury. Act one, we see the lure of luxury. Let's read together from God's holy inspired word in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. It says this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. I think it's important for us to first understand who Jesus is speaking to here in this passage? Who is his audience? And the answer to that is a group known as the Pharisees. group known as the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? They would be the religious elite. They would be the people that know the law inside and out. If you had a theology question, you would go to the Pharisees or someone like the Pharisees. In our present-day context, it would be like the pastors, okay? This is who Jesus is speaking to. Now, When Jesus came onto the scene, the Pharisees got very nervous. They got very afraid because Jesus got at the heart of what it looked like to love God and love other people. And because of this, the Pharisees, they were afraid that they would lose their position, that they would lose their power, and that they would lose their influence. You see, Jesus had been calling out these pious and self-serving individuals. He was looking at them and saying, hey, your greatest love isn't God, but rather money, rather things. So beginning of chapter 16, Jesus shared this parable. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. And then when he gets to verse 14, he plainly says this. Our text says that they were lovers of money. So with this in mind, now let's look at uh, this contrast between these two men. We're in act one and we've got two different men. We've got the rich man and we've got Lazarus. So on the one hand, You got the rich man who would be a have. You got the poor man, Lazarus, would be a have not. On the one hand, the rich man would be a lover of money. On the other hand, it's inferred that Lazarus does not love money, but only seeks to be fed. On the one hand, you have the rich man. He gratifies himself with worldly pleasures. Says he has all kinds of nice clothes. In fact, he gorges himself with the best of foods. And then you've got Lazarus who is sick who is disabled, and he's humbling himself enough to eat with the dogs. Finally, on the one hand, you've got the rich man. The only indicator that we have for who he is is that he is rich. He's rich. He's wealthy. He's affluent. That's what he is known for. That's where his identity lies. But on the other hand, you have Lazarus, who is the poor man, and he's given a name. And ironically, his name means God has helped. God has helped. And I think that this is very specific. I think that this is very intentional that this is his name because his identity, therefore, is in God and not himself. You see the Pharisees and the rich man in this parable, they had taken a good thing, money, which again, money is what we need to to live life. It's what we need to bless people, but they had taken a good thing and they had made it an ultimate thing. Going back to me playing football, I really think um, one of the reasons it was so difficult for me in that season is because I had made a good thing an ultimate thing. Like I said, football offers discipline. It offers brotherhood. It offers a um, mission to accomplish great things, but I had made it an ultimate thing, and that's why I placed so much value in it. That's why even though I was hurt, I was willing to put everything I had into football, And I quickly realized I had taken a good thing and made it an ultimate thing. There's this man, his name is Soren Kierkegaard. I love what he says about identity. He says this, sin is building your identity on anything but God. Let me say that again. Let me let let that sink in. Sin is building your identity on anything but God. You see the Pharisees, the rich man, they had made a good thing, an ultimate thing. Pharisees had made wealth, luxury, the ultimate thing in their life. Their identity was in how other people saw them. Now I want to make a quick note, quick interjection here before I get too far into this. The idea here is not about having wealth or having affluence or having resources, but rather your view of wealth, of having affluence, of having resources. Many of us know people in our lives who are very wealthy um, great businessmen and businesswomen who have worked hard, who have accumulated wealth, and yet they are some of the most generous people you've ever met. We also know people probably in our lives that are very poor, live in poverty, can't rub two nickels together, but yet they are some of the most stingy people, and they are lovers of money even though they don't have it. So it's important for us to make the distinction here. It's our view of money. It's whether or not we love money. So it's not a matter of poverty or wealth, but a matter of how we respond to Jesus in that. It's a matter of where our identity lies. So let me ask you this question. This is a tough question for me. I bet it'll be a tough one for you as well. What is it in your life that if someone took away, then you would lose your identity? What is it in your life that if someone took it away, you would lose your identity? If you lost your spouse, would you lose your identity? If you lost your family, would you lose your identity? If you lost your job, would you lose your identity? If you lost your wealth, if you lost your things, what is it that if you lost it, you would lose your identity? Let me ask you this question. What words would people use to describe you? Would you be described as rich, affluent, wealthy, would they go first to your profession that you're a doctor, a lawyer, a pastor, a teacher, a student? Or would they say things like generous, giving, selfless, humble? Or would they say things like godly, Christ like, disciple maker, woman of faith, man of faith? Do you struggle with the lure of luxury? I do. I think we all do. We're all captivated like the rich man, but I would pray that it wouldn't captivate us like it captivated him. Let's see what happens next. It's so important. In the second act, we read about the expiration of invitation. The expiration of invitation. Let's pick up verse 22. It says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So in Act 1, we see a contrast of these two men. These are our main characters in Act 1. Now we get to a contrast of their eternal destination. Again, let me just remind you, on the one hand, you've got the rich man who seems to have received every blessing that this earth could offer. And on the other hand, you have Lazarus who seems to have received every curse that the earthly life would have to offer. Now let's look at the contrast in their destinations. The rich man, his eternal destination is Hades. He's going to spend eternity in hell. Lazarus, on the other hand, his eternal destination is going to Abraham's side. In some uh, translations, it'll say Abraham's bosom, and this represents heaven. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. It says that Abraham is the father of all who believe we'll see from the following verses that the rich man was a jewish man and he saw abraham as his father he saw this but it did not save him did not save him so therefore if you're a christian and your kiddos grew up in a christian household it doesn't mean that your kids are christians If you surround yourself with Christians, it doesn't mean that you're Christians. If you're going to church, it doesn't mean that you're Christians. It's believing in him. In fact, John the Baptist spoke about this when it came to the Jewish culture. If you look back in Luke chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he said to them, it's not enough to have Abraham as your father. You must repent, you must believe, and you must bear fruit. See, God responds to those who neglect the poor with condemnation. God responds to those, to the needs of the poor, with compassion. Both of these men, both of them were invited to know Jesus. Both of these men were invited to follow after Jesus. Both of these men were invited to live a life in obedience to Jesus. But the invitation that was offered to both of them had an expiration date. They both had an expiration date. I like to think about expiration dates like about milk. How many of you guys believe that an expiration date on milk is hard fast? Raise a hand. Come on, show of hands. Okay, again, you are my people. All right, my wife, on the other hand, she thinks it's just a suggestion. Okay? I don't agree with that. All right? When the expiration date hits, I don't, you can call me wasteful. I don't care. I'm dumping out that milk. Okay? It is no good. I don't like to have chunky milk. Okay? So this, this is how, though, I see uh, life. I mean, we have an, a hard fast expiration date. It's sobering. It's hard to think about. But when it comes to following after Jesus, there's an expiration date for every person on this earth. Think about that for a moment. In a room like this, I would be naive to think that every person in here knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. My prayer is that we would before our expiration date comes. In that if you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've not put your faith and your trust in him, I pray that you would do that today. Because we don't know when our expiration date is coming, right? It could be tomorrow. It could be 75 years from now, but we're all going to get there. And when you pass on, if you have not followed after Jesus, you will go to the same place as the rich man. You see, the rich man, he sacrificed an eternity with God for things. What are you sacrificing an eternity with God for? What are you sacrificing an eternity with God for? What are you choosing now that will impact your forever? The third and the final act, we witness the permanence of ignorance. The permanence of ignorance. We see the lure of luxury for the Pharisees that he's talking to. We see that there's an expiration date that we all have, an eternal destination. Finally, in these last verses, we see the permanence of ignorance. Let's read together and finish out the chapter. Beginning in verse 24, and he called out, this is the rich man, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things, But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said this, they have Moses, and the prophets, and let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if, if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, when I say permanence of ignorance, I don't mean ignorance in how we often think about it in today. A lot of times we'll say that someone is ignorant. I'm sure that none of you have ever called anyone ignorant, but we'll say that someone is ignorant, and what we really mean by that is we, we're saying that they're not smart, they're not intelligent. But what I mean by a permanence of ignorance, I'm talking about the root word of ignorance, which means to ignore, to ignore right what's right in front of your face, what's right in front of your face, to ignore the truth. Like for instance, I choose to ignore the fact that Pastor Larry has this wonderful head of hair with a straight hairline, even though he's 30 years my senior, okay? I don't know how that works out. I choose to ignore it. But what we see here in these verses is a man that chose to ignore what was right in front of his face. And because of that choice in his earthly life, he is now having an eternal separation from God. Let's jump back into the text. When we get to verse 24. Verse 24 there is this ironic inversion of need. We read earlier that Lazarus, he asks for help, and the rich man ignores him. Now, the rich man pleads with Lazarus to help him. When we get to verse 26, we see that there is this eternal separation between heaven and hell. Friends, this is sobering. Heaven and hell are very real places, When we get to verse 27 and 28, we see him finally think of someone else besides himself. He thinks about his family. He asks Abraham, hey, to send Lazarus, go tell my five brothers, if you would just tell them, they'll repent. And he replies, no, they won't. They have all the same information that you have. They have the word of God. You have the word of God. They've seen miracles. You've seen miracles, yet you ignore it. Sound familiar in our context? The rich man's lack of compassion for the poor in his earthly life was an outward expression of his inward unbelief. Our lack of compassion for people, people who need Jesus, might be an outward expression of our inward unbelief. That's a hard thing, and I'm speaking to myself, but I'm speaking to all of us. There are people out there who do not know Jesus. How are we okay with this? How? Because if they pass away, they will be eternally separated from God, and there's nothing we can do at that point. Nothing. There is a permanence. There's a permanence to life. The same thing is true with our faithfulness, though. There's a permanence to faithfulness. There's a permanence in us sharing hope with people, because when someone comes to faith, there's a permanence that lasts there. Eternity is at stake. You see, friends, we only have so long. Whenever you pass away, you can no longer share faith. You can no longer tell people about Jesus. Whenever someone else passes away, you can no longer tell them about Jesus. You can no longer share hope with them. This should give us an urgency like no other to live a life that matters and that counts and that invites people in to know Jesus Christ. It should take us from selfishness to selflessness. It should take us from greed to generosity. It should take us from saying, I'll share hope later to I'm gonna share hope now. Pastor David Platt, he says this, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. Let me share that again. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. There are only two kinds of people there are only two destinations. There are those that trust in Jesus that are gonna go to heaven. There are those that don't trust in Jesus and they're gonna go to hell. What are we gonna do about that? What are we gonna do? Friends, trusting in Jesus isn't just a ticket to heaven, but it's an eternal fellowship with a holy God. And ignoring Jesus isn't just a ticket to hell, but it's an eternal separation from a holy God. My prayer is that we would recognize the permanence that exists with how we behave and what we do. As we begin to finish up this morning, I want to talk to the two different people that I mentioned. I said there are two different types of people, those that are trusting in Jesus and those that are not. First, I want to talk to those of you that are trusting in Jesus. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and I want to ask you this very important question. It's listed there on your listening guide. I want to ask this question. It goes like this. How can we close the gap between what is in our hearts to what comes out in our actions? How can we close the gap between what is in our hearts to what comes out in our actions? I look around this room and I see wonderful people, men and women of faith who love Jesus who have in their hearts this great desire to see everyone in their sphere of influence come to know Jesus. But so often life gets in the way. These temporary insignificant things get in the way and we sacrifice people's eternity for these temporary things. But in our hearts, I know we want to share. So how can we close the gap so that our actions, the words that come out of our mouth, are life-giving to those around us? And it all goes back to the gospel by which you were saved. Return to your first love return to the gospel, and the same thing that saved you will be the same thing that will give you power. Rest in that power. Find power every day, and you will find boldness. You will find courage to share your faith. I, want, I just want us to close the gap between where, what's in our hearts and what comes out in our actions. Now, for those of you that don't know Jesus, you got that little tug on your heart right now. It's a hard one. It's a tough one. You don't know Jesus. Let me ask you this question. I said it just a moment ago, but I want to I reiterate it for us. What are you sacrificing an eternity with God for? What are you sacrificing an eternity with God for? Are you like the rich man? Are you like the Pharisees? Maybe it's money, how people see you, comfort. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, what are you sacrificing in eternity with God for? I would invite you to lay that down. Die to that stuff. Put that stuff away. Repent of all the stuff that's holding you back. Turn away from earthly things and run towards Jesus. Believe in him. I would love to talk with you about that in just a moment. There's no better decision. It's why this church exists, to see people know Jesus and to grow in Jesus, what are you sacrificing an eternity with God for, friends? I know that this has been tough. This is not an easy passage to unpack. Heaven and hell are very real places, and every single person that you encounter on this earth is an eternal being, whether or not we want to think about that. But I'm so thankful, I'm so encouraged as I look around to see men and women of faith, to see warriors, to see soldiers as Zach said a moment ago, to see laborers for the gospel. And might we band together like never before and share hope with as many people as we can so that when our expiration date comes, we can stand before God and say, I brought everyone along that I could. Did everything that I could. And might God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant.'"